0: Now, where are you from originally?
1: Indiana. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was born in Chicago and my parents on my second birthday moved to Indiana and they still oh, okay. live in the same house there. Really? So oh, I grew up awesome. with lots of snow, like what you guys had a few, few So I went to school ago. in
0: Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indiana.
1: Small, small world.
0: It used to be the Defense Information School there. Wow. Then, uh, so I'll date myself, but that was like in 83, I think.
1: But, I was uh, around. Barely, but. We're not
0: gonna put that on the table. Uh, nothing from the <laughs> uh, but no, I, I actually I uh, went back to Indiana like three or four times for events, yeah, and schools and stuff. So, and in Indiana is where the army told me I had a voice for newspaper and don't you're not gonna be doing this broadcasting thing. So,
1: are you serious? Yeah, yeah. wow.
0: And the Marine Corps was actually trying to push more people uh, to do both sides of the house because we just had a huge shortage of Mm. broadcasters, so
1: anyway. you went down the right path then, obviously.
0: Uh, I've had an interesting career, but it's been good. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Equipping the Corps. In 2015, the Secretary of the Navy issued a memo to bring together the Department of the Navy additive manufacturing, or 3D printing, communities to rapidly develop AM capabilities for integration into the fleet. The Marine Corps quickly began exploring additive manufacturing and formally established the Advanced Manufacturing Operations Cell in 2019. Engineers are a critical component to the success of our programs at Syscom, and AMOC is a testament to that. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with someone who could probably claim they were experimenting with AM before it was cool, Chief Scientist for Advanced Manufacturing Operations Cell, Dr. Kristen Holsworth. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. And
0: I look forward to a great conversation. But before I get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you ended up here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did my undergraduate work down at Tulane University studying mechanical engineering. And from there, came out here to San Diego, where I've been for nearly 20 years now, to do graduate work. You got
0: stuck with the weather here,
1: right? No. That was one of the most important uh, okay. things I okay. learned.
0: Sorry. I learned a lot <laughs> in
1: grad work. One of them was, yeah, absolutely, that the weather here in San Diego uh, okay. is, yeah, makes life a lot easier, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, I did my master's and PhD just up the way here at the University of California, San Diego. Um, really enjoyed the work and stayed on there for my postdoc and became a research scientist wow, there. So fantastic. Worked on a lot of DoD-based research, mm-hmm. so um, for O&R, worked on uh, helmet coatings to help prevent traumatic brain injuries. Wow. And after that, did some work um, supporting DARPA research, where okay. we were working on developing sonar stealth coatings for submarines. That's got to be
0: exciting, all the latest cutting edge technology they have access to
1: just bleeding edge technology and just some of the brightest minds just a very diverse range of backgrounds and experiences coming together there and so it was actually that that um, research for DARPA that Mm -hmm. was sort of my first foray into additive manufacturing and so what we developed for this coating was a layered composite and it ended up being you know in the order of like 10 centimeters thick Mm. so not something you typically think of as a quote-unquote coating right. but then with the advent of additive manufacturing and sort of that unique design space that opened up we were able to create that functional equivalent that was no kidding a coating that was wow. a centimeter thick
0: wow and then you just migrated now now you're part of uh NYWIC now absolutely uh and let me make sure i get that right naval information warfare pacific
1: Warfare Center Pacific.
0: Warfare Center Pacific. Thank you. Uh, What attracted you to the DOD research? I know your studies and whatnot, you had some ties to that, but was it just that? There was one
1: missing piece there, Uh though. We did this very exciting research, again, bleeding-edge technology, but it never actually made it over to the warfighter who could benefit from it. And so, you know, adding to that knowledge base, well, that was really rewarding. You wanted to get it over to that warfighter. So it was actually a really natural transition for me to come over to what was Spay War at the time and now okay. Nioic Pacific. Um, and it really provided me that opportunity to, to, no kidding, take advantage of the unique space we have here in San Diego that's like such a fleet concentration mm-hmm. area.
0: Gave you an opportunity to actually see the people who get their hands on the equipment and things that you've been
1: and not just the see marine. them but hear from them what they need because what i would create based on my constrained experiences it would be very different what from what a marine would tell me he or she needs based on their experiences uh,
0: it, it's interesting you say that because on a program that i was on before i used to you know engineers are great Uh, They develop great solutions, but sometimes they're not marine-proof solutions. Absolutely. uh, It's great to get the Marines, the scientists, and the engineers together to be able to develop some of that stuff.
1: Absolutely.
0: I know prior to working on AMOC, you were elected to be part of the Naval Innovation Advisory Council uh, for Advanced Manufacturing. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, really. uh, What
0: exactly that that entails
1: exciting opportunities so it was really a small cadre of kind of hand-selected Marines and sailors Um, the intent was to help sort of accelerate and incubate innovative capabilities that support the Department of the Navy so in particular at that time um, was still tangentially supporting advanced manufacturing but this time was really much more focused on the data aspect of that and securing data. So we studied blockchain and Mm -hmm. actually um, supported a NATO exercise over in in Poland there, Um, the Coalition Warfighter Interoperability exercise and used blockchain technology to securely share, um, actually data files for one of our UAVs Mm -hmm. with the Norwegians so that um, repair parts could be printed and utilized there. the technology was so important because if i were to say manny i'm going to send you this file and and i need you to print it and Mm -hmm and install it. Well, you want to ensure that what you're printing is actually what I intended for right, you to print, right. because if an adversary- Something got
0: lost in translation on the way over. Again.
1: Exactly, something yeah. could get lost or or corrupted, or an adversary could come in and manipulate that file so that superficially it looked like you had the right component, but there could be some internal uh, you know, structure that deviated that could lead to a catastrophic failure. Mm-hmm. So it was really um, an exciting exercise where we demonstrated the use of that technology with our NATO partners and actually flew those UAVs.
0: That's awesome. Did you get did you get to go go overseas? I sure
1: spend, did. I sure uh, did.
0: I spent three years at uh, in Europe at an outstanding command there. So it's a great opportunity if you get to. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that about transferring data. Uh, And I won't date myself, but I had an interest. Interesting, I was deployed and we had the first digital camera that the the Marines would share Mm -hmm. and hand off. Uh, And we did a test of transmitting an image from uh, a far away place. And uh, every time that image got transmitted, you lost about 10 percent of the data. (laughs) So by the time I made it all the way back to headquarters, Marine Corps, it wasn't wasn't exactly what you intended to send Like the worst out. version so of telephone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it went from an 8x10, not even to a 3x5. So, uh, but needless to say, technology uh, has come a long way. Uh, so I know you were uh, part of NYWIC. Uh, when did you make the transition to support the the Marine Corps. You're still part of NIWIC, right? Absolutely. So can you explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah,
1: yeah, a really good question. And actually one I think that comes up a lot. And so NIWIC Pacific is an echelon three command. Mm-hmm. So we're Navy working capital fund and as such we support projects. Um, NIWIC Pacific in particular has a vision um, where they really pursue projects um, and encourage us to think big, to go fast, to think warfighter, and go tough. And so all of the work that we do within the advanced manufacturing operations cell directly aligns with the vision that's set forth at NIWIC Pacific. So I'm fortunate where I'm able to support the AMOC 100% Mm -hmm. time. So Marine Corps Systems Command is my full-time sponsor. And, you know, being co-located out here at Naval Base Point Loma obviously allows... The AMOC, which is headquartered over in Quantico, right. to have a much greater reach, especially um, up with the, the Marines up at One Mef here.
0: Let's focus on the uh, AMOC, uh for a little bit. It's not this huge organization.
1: <laughs> it's not. Although we play, I personally big, we know play who big. they <laughs> are. But
0: you know, it's it's not a. Uh, first of all, I want to back up a second and say you talked about going fast and whatnot. Uh, And we just recently left the AFSIA conference out west. I mean, hit the key message right there. Mm -hmm. How do we go faster in the things that we do? How do we get this technology and whatnot in the hands of of Marines and sailors, soldiers, airmen? Uh, So that's a challenge that is brought to you on a daily basis. But anyway, changing tactics, getting back. <laughs> Tell me about the SAMOC team.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, that it's not a big team, because I know we've we've been to um, some other facilities, visited some university partners, and been asked, oh, and how big is your team? And um, when uh, Captain Audet and I answer, seven? We get a, excuse me, 70. Oh, okay, that's a good size team. And we just kind of laugh and say, no, no. About seven yeah. at, at this time, but that's because... And that's
0: big. It's been growing. It, it used has
1: to be, been growing. <laughs>
0: it used to be two or three, if I recall.
1: Yeah, you're uh, you're spot on. You're yeah. spot on. But, I mean, we're able to support one, two, three MEF. Um, and, you know, I think we just have such a great network of Marines and natural innovators in the Fleet Marine Force that although Amok proper might be seven. I think the network as a whole is, is definitely orders of magnitude more.
0: I think one of the things I want to touch on just briefly is um, AMOC team runs kind of a, a call center, for lack of a better term. Uh, Maybe a help desk Mm -hmm. for additive manufacturing. Can you touch on that just a little bit? Yeah. The intent of that.
1: Absolutely. So within the Marine Corps Order um, for additive manufacturing, Mm -hmm. so it's MCO forty-seven hundred point four, it mandates that we establish a twenty-four hour help desk. And so most recently, we've actually been working with the folks just up the way here at McTissa to standardize the development of that help desk, so that just as they help all of our, our marines globally with their needs. They'll similarly be providing that support for any of the advanced manufacturing needs that come forth to the AMOC.
0: That's awesome because I know for the folks listening and they're doing the math, there's a team of seven. <laughs> they got a man at twenty four hour help desk. There's seven days a week, so uh, so it, it, it is a bit of a challenge.
1: It is I, and that's what McTissa uh, does so well. That's yeah. I mean a mandate they've supported for years and years and so effectively. And that's where Marines know to go for help, too. So I think it aligns really well.
0: And the fact that, you know, you have somebody that talks the lingo on the other side of the line, you know, Absolutely. not just from the, you know, so you, you get just, a, a, a comfort level. Exactly. Say. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and I'm sure the team can say, oh yeah, we've had this problem before. So.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, well, and so we're also working with McTissa to develop the Amox website. And just as you mentioned, you know, they've helped us put together our frequently asked questions because, perfect. like you said, most of the questions that our Marines have are not unique questions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, using a common set of equipment and coming up with, you know, a lot of the, the same questions. So, yeah, McTissa has been really helpful on both fronts there.
0: I think one of the things, so, um, you know, again, the Commandant talks a lot about speed, speed with everything we do, because otherwise we're going to get left behind. Absolutely. Uh, and I think what's great to listen to the stories that come out of AMOC, the stories that come out of the Marines that are out there uh, solving problems uh, on the expeditionary fronts, way out there where, you know, they can't call FedEx or Amazon or anybody to, to bring them apart. Right. Uh, so I think it's fascinating how you all have developed uh, the relationships and the capabilities yeah. to be able to do some of these things and get it done. I do want to talk about another aspect mm-hmm. uh, in our industry partners, yes. because y- you know we do a lot of our stuff, um, but a lot of the stuff that we're able to do is because somebody in industry is investing the money,
1: mm-hmm.
0: putting the effort forward, buying the technology. And get in opera. Can you share with us a little bit some of the things you've done over the last uh, year or so uh, as it relates to industry?
1: Like you said, they are critical partners. And I mean, with their specialization, so many of them are at that bleeding edge in these various technology spaces. And, and so we've been very fortunate to work with industry in a multitude of ways. Um, we often pursue Kratas, Cooperative Research and Development Agreements, that That'll allow come. us yep. to partner with industry or academia at no cost to us, which, as you know, that's, that's our favorite price tag, right, zero dollars.
0: Taxpayers are loving that one, and hopefully our friends on Capitol Hill realize it. Look. We're doing it's all this an
1: incredibly <laughs> powerful capability that yeah, Congress has authorized us to pursue. And so, you know, it not only helps us understand where industry is leading, but also helps industry understand, you know, what that marine actually needs and what their operating environment will be versus industry working in a bubble. And so we've had some fantastic industry partners over the past several years supporting advanced manufacturing. We've worked with HP mm-hmm. for actually about the past five years um, and again that began as a cooperative research and development agreement as they were developing their metal jet printing capability um, so really advancing the breadth of materials that we could print uh, and that's
0: actually a great point I'm sorry I didn't mean mm-hmm. to interrupt you, you but did. when people think about 3d printing you you know and I'm thinking about the plastics the polymers these things and I know we've
1: mm-hmm. we've
0: migrated to concrete 3d printing. Uh, and now you're talking about uh, actual metal printing so uh, talk to us a little bit about the different areas you've
1: you've uh, covered over the years. That's a really good point like you said to mention up front that breadth of materials Mm -hmm. I think has dramatically expanded even since the establishment of the AMOC as as you mentioned you know it very much initially focused on various polymers and has very quickly expanded into Metals, which obviously provides us with immense capability to directly replace components that we have on our OEM equipment. But beyond that, um, it's expanded even further into composites, which Personally from from my background I think is especially exciting because mm-hmm. composites were developed because they fill a space that right. monolithic materials never had the capability to do so and and as you pointed out We've similarly expanded into concrete, you All know right. Just just a couple of years ago up at Camp Pendleton. We printed a high shelter in 36 hours. Wow <laughs> And and I say we and Normally that way means- it would
0: take 36 hours just to do the paperwork to get something oh we won't talk about the paperwork on the front side of
1: that one but i mean that was that was a team of eight marines printing over 36 hours and that was spread over four days just for the comfort of the the crew supporting that but the printers can print around the clock and you know that really helps support our needs and meeting the missions um as as we see them wow that's fantastic i mean it's
0: just it, it really is the, the depth and breadth of the things that you've done. Now, I know you mentioned uh, you mentioned industry. Uh, how about academia? I know we work with academia a little bit.
1: We absolutely um, do. And, I, again, you know, just as industry, you know, is very much at that leading edge of technology, I mean, even more so the research that's being done at some of the universities across the nation, I mean, will just um, blow your mind. And, and in fact, one of our, our key partners has been the University of Maine. Wow. And, and some of uh, the folks listening might be aware that the University of Maine has the world's largest 3D printer. Wow. And um, what we actually utilized that for just recently was printing the world's largest uh, vessel. So, wow, that's incredible. So like you said, working with um, you know those researchers at the universities in partnership with industry mm-hmm. with requirements and needs and operating environment informed by our team and our Marines, I think really provides proves this incredibly robust partnering scheme i
0: think the other thing so if i'm a shipbuilder i might get a little excited at first but uh you're really working hand in hand with industry absolutely Uh, and not we're not coming up with these creative and you know far-fetched ideas anymore we're walking the path with industry industry is evolving uh and if i'm correct you're doing some great Proof of concepts out here.
1: That's exactly. Like you said, it's an incredibly powerful. I want people to understand that the Marine Corps
0: doesn't have a manufacturing facility that's spitting out. Connectors here, but
1: spot on. (laughs) We absolutely do not. And like you said, we're working with industry and they're providing that naval architecture expertise, Mm -hmm. working with universities that provide that sort of leading edge technology implementation. Um, But again, everything that we're developing is sort of in that realm of proof of concept and meant to augment. our existing capabilities, not necessarily replace those, but supplement them with sort of, as we were hearing earlier um, at FCOS, providing some of those attributable capabilities that could be created very quickly because, guess what, a 3D printer, it doesn't care what file you put right. into it. It's going to print what you need, vice a factory floor that's going to need to be turned over, have the right presses, the right dies, the right equipment all pivoted over to that capability. Now, that's a
0: great analogy. It's an awesome analogy. So oh, we've yeah. come a long ways, but let me take you back a little bit. What's been some of your challenges? What have you had to overcome? What's the team... I'm sure there's some hurdles in the road. To,
1: Absolutely. You know, and so, as you might imagine, some and you probably heard exactly, you probably heard this yourself where, oh, no, 3D printer, you just get a file and you hit print and you go and everything turns out perfectly and there's there's no additional work associated with that. And um, I know we all know the term of expectation management. And so, when conversations like that arise and, and leadership thinks it's as simple as Press print go. Right. Um, that requires some some course correction and some some additional walking back to make sure folks understand the realities associated with the technology. Um, that's not to say you know that one day we might not get to that place, but right. especially when we're working with industry and academic partners on developing technologies, right? That's that's technology that's still. In progress Um, we're not at that point just yet for for all of our 3d printing needs
0: can you walk us a little bit towards the testing perspective of it because it's not just print something here you go Uh, this should take care of you you need a new steering wheel here you go Uh, you have a test uh, process that you go through
1: We do. We do. And so we work really closely with the program offices associated with the respective parts or components that Marines might be bringing up. And so it's an interesting scenario because, as you might imagine, uh, the various systems that we have, we don't have a drawing for each part and a right. test for every part. We, we test systems, mm-hmm. right? You need to know whether that Humvee operates Correct. as a Correct. system as you need it to. So the program offices are really instrumental in providing that sort of systems level testing. And we work with the fleet directly in terms of doing some preliminary form fit function testing. And when all of those, you know, check out and, and we have what seems to be a successful component. That's when the program office takes that hand off, and does the more extensive reliability and durability testing that's in line with what they're doing with their their vehicles, day to day.
0: So Manny's no engineer, and I'm not going to pretend to be one. I pretend to be other things on occasion, <laughs> but so I'm going to take it down a step. Uh, can you give us a couple examples? I know we've done like you know, door handles and Mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, give us an example or two of uh, uh, some of the things that the AMOC team has, has
1: helped develop,
0: test, And maybe put in the hands of the Marines.
1: Yeah, well, so I would say, first of all, almost all of these use cases are always generated by the Fleet Marine Force, right? So So it's it's
0: a Lance Corporal out there who had a bright idea and say.
1: Absolutely. And a Lance Corporal who grew up in a digital world, right? So this is all second nature to him or her. Um, But it's what we see time and time again is that the person closest to the problem is often gonna be that person that comes up with a solution. Um, I know one of one of our most recent use cases that the AMOC supported, um, coming out of Camp Pendleton here, uh, a Marine had an idea for an innovative tool uh, uh, to basically help them do their job better and ensure less damage. So mm-hmm. there's uh, a slide hammer that's utilized to remove a steering wheel from a vehicle. Oh, okay. um, and apparently Those I'm
0: familiar with.
1: Those, yeah, exactly. <laughs> check, check. Yeah. Apparently, the steering wheel needs to frequently be removed for, for most of the maintenance. But this, as a slide hammer might suggest by its yes, name. it does. Can I get a
0: bigger <laughs> one? This one's not working.
1: Well, very successful in removing the steering wheel often breaks the steering wheel <laughs> in that removal process and thereby, you could guess it, yes, deadlines absolutely. the vehicle. <laughs>
0: absolutely. No steering wheel. We're not moving. We're not anywhere. going anywhere. Yep, yep.
1: So seeing this on repeat, one of the Marines had developed a new tool mm-hmm. um, to prevent that breakage, so that he could routinely remove that steering wheel, keep it intact, perform the maintenance activities needed, and reinstall. And and to say that this is a success story, I think is is underrepresenting it because this is now a tool that has been distributed across the Marine Corps enterprise. And I think it has implications beyond that because we know our vehicles are very common with our sister services here. So to, to create a DOD level
0: Absolutely. solution
1: is is what a lot of our Marines are out there doing.
0: So actually, that's a great segue because one of the things I want to talk about briefly, you work with some of the other labs, research facilities and whatnot. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that uh you've done uh
1: sure so just as our our various centers have you know a lot of breadth of capability we're also aware that they have a lot of specialization mm. um so in particular you know we work very closely with our colleagues over at card rock okay um so they provide actually a lot been of there a
0: couple of times hotter Spray dynamics
1: facilities. support for our ship to shore yep. connector Um, And similarly, we work across service. Um, Because as I just mentioned, you know, obviously a lot of our vehicles, you know, are common or at least slight variations to what the Army utilizes. So we work very closely with their ground vehicle system center as well so that we can avoid redundancy, leverage our capabilities together, and and really just try and help everybody get further faster.
0: That's awesome, fantastic. I I gotta ask you, um, and What's next for AMOC? And you know, obviously, we don't know where the budgets are. We don't know, you know, because we, mm-hmm. we, we do these proofs of concept, we do these things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to have a requirement mm-hmm. from somebody, uh, and we have to have that very important funding piece mm-hmm. uh, to continue to support
1: the yeah. millions.
0: What what do you envision is next for uh, for the team?
1: So besides getting things. bigger. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely not getting smaller. I would say several things. So I think it's really important to note, first of all, the Marine Corps has two programs of record for AM um, and actually just began fielding the first one about three weeks ago or mm-hmm. so. So our ex-fab, um, the first one went out at Camp Lejeune. I know they did their new equipment training. And that's not only the first program of record for AM in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. but it's the first program of record for AM across the DOD. That's awesome. So really, yeah, incredible. I definitely see We as-
0: are the 911 force. We get there first. So Therefore it's Chasing only fitting. Point. Only <laughs> exactly, fitting. Exactly,
1: exactly. Oh, but definitely to help bolster that equipment set capability, our next big effort is focused on developing our digital manufacturing data vault, okay. which DMDV is really just analogous to that robust digital infrastructure that will support all of the AM equipment that's being fielded. Um, as you could imagine, you know, having a 3D printer on an island on this pocket a capability that pocket of capability is a capability a powerful yeah. tool but if we can network that capability then we've really optimized how we're utilizing that so so actually developing our dmdv program of record is um next in line for our capability there um, but similarly, as you mentioned early, earlier in our conversation, um, this technology is advancing so quickly, so we continue to work with industry and academic partners to evaluate that technology because our programs of record have built in these technology refreshes, so we want to make sure that we're taking in the latest and greatest and combining it with the Marine Corps' needs so that we're giving them exactly what they need where they need it.
0: So. To say you're excited about what you're doing is probably an understatement in my part, but uh, and I think it does show. Uh, but I have to ask you, what are you most proud of? What stands out, mine?
1: Wow. Well, you know, I used to. I have
0: tougher questions later, but I'm deal with, with this one now.
1: No, like you said, to, to, to say I enjoy my job is, yeah, understatement of, of the century here. I absolutely love what I do and, and think I'm like the luckiest person to be able to support this. And I've worked closely with um, Camp Pendleton for years, and in particular, um, First Marine Logistics Group. Mm-hmm. And um, several years ago, um, the commanding general I was supporting there, um, when we had some distinguished visitors coming, he introduced me as, you know, Dr. Holdsworth, mm-hmm. honorary Marine. And I thought, <laughs> all right, I think I have a accomplished my my intent here that they that's understand I'm here to that's, serve uh, them and not yeah. not yeah for ulterior motives so. no
0: that's uh that's definitely something special so uh, that's oh, not something
1: to take can, lightly yeah, absolutely not at all.
0: so I got to tell a little story first and then I'll ask you a quick question so uh I love this by the way so I've got three kids I'm not going to get into it but my youngest child is 20 years old, so needless to say, they're a little bit. We won't date ourselves, <laughs> but let's just say in the mid 2000s, maybe 2005 or six, my daughter, who's my oldest, comes home and says, "Dad, I'm, I'm going to be going to this camp, and we're going to build these little robots, and we're going to play with Legos and stuff." And I'm like, "Oh, cool, you know," and I'm going 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, "Oh, great!" My daughter just joined some. After school Mm clubs, so things are great. Uh, Let me fast forward a little bit because that started in her last year of middle school. Mm -hmm. And then she went to high school. And then her brother, four years later, went to high school. Uh, And I got involved in this thing called robotics, Mm -hmm. first robotics competition. And I do have to give a shout out to Team 339 Kilroy in Stafford, Virginia, uh, because I spent about 12 years... (laughs) Following them all around, going to all kinds of places. We had a phenomenal time. I mean, hundreds of competitions later, uh, state, mm-hmm. national, international, in St. Louis half a dozen times. Uh, I'm not a robotics guy. I don't build robots. Uh, I have invested a lot of money in Legos and things, so mm-hmm. I got to tell you, and to all the parents out there listening, if your kid comes home and says, I want to join a robotics thing, think about it. And I say that because... I watched a lot of young kids grow. I watched my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my kids are grown. They're doing their own thing. Uh, they're all phenomenal in their respective areas. My daughter did not go up to be an engineer. She had a passion for teaching, so she became a very successful science teacher, so I'm extremely proud of that. Mm-hmm. All my kids. Uh, but I say that, and I'm a little partial to you know to the young girls who maybe aren't all involved in, Math and Sciences and we we continue to push them in that direction because it's always been this mysterious side but I gotta ask you you're a woman in STEM you've been doing this you have a passion your your excitement about this shows Uh, what do you have to say to all the young ladies out there who you know the young gals listening uh, who want to get involved in this world of engineering this world of science.
1: My first uh, that's thing really is do it. Absolutely. So that was Just do it. I want to get a bumper sticker. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, no, I've been fortunate advice. that I've had very um, thoughtful mentors along the mm-hmm. way. So um, in high school, my physics teacher and, you know, my junior year had asked, well, Kristen, have you thought about what you want to be, what you want to do? <laughs> And as you probably can relate being a junior in high school the answer is no haven't really like given that a whole lot of thought you know <laughs> Um, And he mentioned, well, you know, I'd really encourage you to do engineering, mechanical engineering. And I kind of laugh thinking, well, (laughs) that's what my father does. He's worked in the automotive industry for years. So that absolutely makes sense. But, you know, listening to to those around you who definitely have your best interests in mind, but have had the opportunity to work with you and observe you and and help Mm -hmm. guide you to definitely take advantage of that. Uh, I think that that absolutely goes a long way, and and I think similarly to not be afraid of you know it being perhaps you know a male dominated mm-hmm. um, field. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I, may, maybe it's because I grew up as like the middle child <laughs> with an older and younger brother, and I was the only girl on my father's side of the family. But it. Never really even registered to me that it. Oh, this is a you know male dominated field. No, oh, my classes, you know, don't seem to have too many f- females in them. But I think it's absolutely important to make sure we have more females going in there because just as we talked about earlier, we're all constrained by our experiences. So adding to that layer of diversity, I think is only going to give us more robust solutions. And and hopefully, as as your kids experience them, I ultimately, I think it's it's people's work that speaks for itself, I, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, nobody would have somebody shun their ideas because, oh, what would and she I, know?
0: And I got to tell you, I, I, I do, uh, I want to give credit where credit's due. She had great mentors mm-hmm. in, in high school as my, my boys did, uh, but the Navy played a little part because mm-hmm. we got in, out there in Stafford, Virginia, uh, Dahlgren, mm-hmm. uh, the Navy lab out there. Uh, engineers volunteered to be mentors mm-hmm. and participated in all these events. So what began as a way for getting young minds to participate in these things really became a way of life. Exactly. Uh, and I think, I, look, you're a shining example uh, of what you can do if you just keep chasing it. Uh, and I think the pendulum has swung quite a bit. Uh, there's so many bright and talented uh, young women out there, uh, such as yourself, doing doing a lot of great things for uh, for the future, not only of our service, but the future of this country. So, uh, well, I thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, and I want to thank you for taking the time. I mean, I flew all the way out west. <laughs> uh, oh, I chased you. I chased yes, you back here. I yes. flew out to you first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, this has been extremely insightful for, for myself. And And hopefully our our folks uh, uh, appreciate uh, what you've had to share, Uh, because I think there's some I know General Poseidon likes to say it a lot. These are exciting times for us. There's a lot of things going on. And what you just talked about is a perfect example of all those exciting things. Marines are getting involved Mm -hmm. in the solutions to some of their problems for the future. So so for that, uh, Dr. Holsworth, I thank you. Before I let you go, Kristen, we have a, another part of the show that we like to call the lightning round. So are you ready? These are some I'm hard ready. questions. I'm Hit me. So, hit me. All right. <laughs> uh, and I know you've obviously traveled a little bit, but I do have to ask you, what's your favorite vacation spot?
1: Well, in all that travel... Honestly, it's still the California coast, is San really? Francisco and sort of the, the juxtaposition of the concrete jungle <laughs> and going across the bridge to the towering redwoods is still some of my favorite.
0: So I, I tell folks all, so I grew up 20 minutes from San Francisco, 20, 30 minutes oh, on I the East no Bay. So uh, so I, I will take that as a, as a <laughs> great compliment. Absolutely. Uh, I don't live there anymore, uh, but for those listening, uh you know, the Northern California shore, it's just mm-hmm. beautiful. It's not just sunny Southern California. It's not. Take a few minutes and go up north. Mm-hmm. So I think that's awesome. Uh, what's a TV show, book, movie, or podcast you'd recommend? You don't have to recommend this one. You need another one.
1: <laughs> that goes without saying, right. so I'll save that one. Right. Um, one of the best series I saw not that long ago was HBO's Chernobyl. Oh, okay. taking us through the disaster mm. and I, I mean from what i've read it was like so hauntingly accurate wow. um yeah I, I mean i i love you know understanding mm. you know exactly what what went on and how they tried to address it and yeah absolutely crazy to think of the scenario back then
0: i can only imagine well i do remember the time frame but uh in any <laughs> case <laughs> but that's the inquisitive scientists mm-hmm. in wanting to get behind the story. Uh, so I got to ask you, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing?
1: I would probably be a professor because I good. love teaching. Okay. Obviously, I love that research aspect. Uh, in another world where the sight of blood didn't make me queasy, <laughs> I'd probably be a veterinarian, but I'm really? pretty sure passing out <laughs> your patients <laughs> wouldn't work out so well.
0: Uh, well, that's awesome. Uh, both of them extremely commendable. So, uh, But I got to tell you where you're at right now is it more commendable from my part. But uh, I'm a little biased. So, uh, And this is the tough one. This one gets everybody. If you could have any superpower, what would it be?
1: I think back to my childhood and conversations I still have with my brothers on this, and it's got to be teleportation. <laughs> my 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 brother's, my older brother is a philosophy professor, and he still jokes to me like, you got the teleportation device ready yet or not? So Where are we going next week? I'm just going to have to, yeah, be like, nope, God is a superpower. Sorry.
0: <laughs> well, listen, that's outstanding. I, I, I just want to say again, it's been uh, very enlightening. Uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, to share your story with us. I hope folks get a better understanding uh, of what the AMOC is, perhaps isn't, uh, and all the exciting things that are down the road from us. So with that said, uh, Dr. Holsworth, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, this concludes another episode of Equipping the Corps. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. If so, please take a couple minutes, leave us a review, subscribe, tell your friends about us. Till next time. Manny Pacheco signing off.